Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello there, and a special big shout out to my local, national, and international fans and listeners. We are coming live from California. First of all, I want to thank all of you for your loyal support and for tuning in or downloading the Transformation for Success shows each week. Keep those downloads coming. And for those of you who might be new listeners, the shows are rebroadcast on the Empowerment and Business Channels on Fridays at noon. And for your information, Transformation for Success is a live radio broadcast and it is immediately downloaded in podcast format for iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Dr. B's mobile app. And you can access it on my website, drbarbaryoung.com. So there's no excuse. So also check out the Transformation Success Channel on Voice America TV. We've got new shows coming up this month. And guess what? We've got our guest today, Jennifer Conke, who will be on television next week. So be sure to watch her. Today you're going to hear her because I have Jennifer Conke in the studio. She's a well-known leadership business strategist and co-founder of Lead Hership Coaching. Jennifer believes that you can create anything you want in life when you know how to influence and plan effectively. Now, Jennifer has 25 years of experience mentoring leaders, mentoring leaders across different industries. Now, when you see her on television, because you've got to watch her, she does not look like she has 25 years of experience. <laughs> so anyway, stay tuned as you want to learn more about Jennifer Conke and her seven specific influencing techniques. So be certain to have your friends download the show if they can't hear it live. And I would encourage you take notes if you're not driving because she has a lot to share. And listeners, if you have questions of Jennifer, guess what? You can call in the studio at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. So now please help me welcome Jennifer Conke to the show today. Hi, Jennifer. Hello, Dr. Barbara. How are you? I'm great, and it's wonderful to have you on the Transformation for Success radio show today. So, so how about Thank that? Thank you so much. Yes. First, you're on television. I am really excited. And now yeah. you're on radio. Well, let me tell you, you have had a very interesting uh, background and story, and I was delighted, really, to feature you, not only on television, but on the radio as well. So, let's begin with your story, uh, where you're from, and how this all began for you. Sure. Well, I am from California. I was born and raised in California, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I spent some time in Southern California and the other other parts of the Northern California. And I ended up in Arizona when I was about 19 years old working at an automotive industry that made airbags for cars back in the 90s. And I landed my very first supervisor role. I was in the front line and I had a lot of experience with struggling as a 19-year-old child, basically, um, trying to lead teams. 
So it was a pretty cool experience. I learned a lot from most of the gentlemen that were there. It was a very male-dominated industry. And um, I, when I first started, I got the feedback that I was like a bull in the china shop. <laughs> so I had to learn different techniques. Yeah. Uh, well, this is interesting. <clears throat> so at 19... If you start working uh, in an automotive industry and they're making airbags for cars, tell me, what were you doing? Did you, you went to high school. Were you interested in being a leader or did you, were you uh, demonstrating that as a leader in high school? Yes. When I was about 15 years old, I I got a job at a a retail outlet for children's clothing. And I was, I was really excited because I got the opportunity to become a key holder and, and I became an assistant general manager of the store by the time I was 18. And I just realized that I had a gift at getting things done and getting results from a numbers perspective and a customer service perspective. And, and then I got this really cool opportunity. My godmother at the time invited me to come, come live with her in Arizona. And she got me this job at this power plant, this TRW automotive industry plant where they made airbags and uh, when I got there I, I started off as an hourly employee and I just I worked really hard and I was fast and that's what they liked and I ended up earning the respect of everybody and I became a trainer so I was a trainer for about six months and then my supervisor at the time she got a different opportunity and she had been training me on how to run the line and so I stepped in and interviewed on a dare to be completely honest one of my friends dared me to interview and said I bet you can't get it and so I did, and I got it, and I was like, oh, no, I got it. <laughs> so Interesting. I ended, up, I, ended up, yeah, I ended up getting that role um, just off of a dare, but knowing that I wanted it because I really enjoyed what I was doing with my supervisor and what she was teaching me. So I ended up running that line for quite some time, for about a year, and then they came in with some Kaizen improvement, continuous improvement from Toyota Production Systems, and I got to learn about streamlining processes, looking at efficiency, and I've always been really numbers-focused, profit and loss-focused, looking at performance and productivity. So I think you could probably guess where I'm going. I was really focused on results, and my biggest challenge that I first faced was how to get people to do what I needed them to do without just kind of being authoritarian with them. So that was my first challenge. Since you were working in a male-dominated field, and you mentioned that, did you have challenges with the guys? And and you're, you know, probably one of the few females in the industry. Did you? What were your challenges dealing with some of these guys? Yeah, I, I sure did. Um, so one of the very first things that happened by the time I was promoted, I, I was about 21 years old, and I had one of the the managers pull me in the office, and we had a very good, strong rapport. I like to learn from him. And he just kind of took me under his wing and he said, hey, we, we need to chat because you're a strong force. And, and, and there's this, you know, the alpha men out there, they're, they're, not, they're kind of put off by your energy. And I think we need to focus on how we can polish your approach. You know, I was 21. I, I didn't know what that meant. And, and he said, I just need to smooth the edges off of you and uh, make you a little bit softer in how you approach those guys because they don't respond to it very well. And I thought, well, you're right. They don't. I'm not getting anywhere with these guys. And I don't, I don't understand why they just won't do their job. And, and at a young age, you don't realize, I think it was probably because of my upbringing. My dad was just very structured, very rigid. And man, when he said jump, he said how high. So unfortunately, that translated into my leadership style. And now I needed to unlearn it. 
And so he explained to me that you, know, you need to figure out and be conscious of your approach with these gentlemen because they have very big egos. And you come across as this strong force that's super intelligent and you get these results and you have a potential to intimidate because of your intelligence, because of your approach, and they don't know how to take it. And it took me back off my feet for a minute because I thought, well, what does it matter just because I'm a girl? Why, why does that matter? You know, why does gender have to matter? And um, I had always figured that it, we can all just, you know, have diversity in thought and figure this out together. Why does it have to matter? But it did. And so my first challenge was accepting that it did matter. That was the reality, that it mattered to them, even though it didn't matter to me. So I, I knew I needed to adjust. So I worked with that gentleman for about three years to try and figure out how to approach it differently. And that is where I started figuring out the seven tactics on how to influence. Do you, do you uh, believe, Jennifer, because one of the things that you, you uh, stated that kind of sparked this question was that your uh, introduction to leadership was from a male perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And you talked about how disciplined your dad uh, was and how he would, you know, generate orders and you'd say how high and, you know, jump and you'd say how high and would do it. So that, did you, did you ever kind of come to the conclusion that that was probably why you took on this um, leadership style? And not, in, not for years. I, I was not aware of it in the moment. That's a great question because I lacked that awareness in the moment when that was happening. It Five more years before I realized, oh, that's where it came from. <laughs> it was during it was during a <laughs> development activity that I had done. You know, I've always believed you got to invest in yourself and pay for pay for training, pay for the the softer skills that I needed to learn on how to approach people and and show that I value them. So I did a lot of training classes, and one of the, one of the training classes I did in particular kind of it made you go back and look at your history, your results your impact and how you got there. And I learned very quickly in this training that I was not responsible for my wake. And at the time I was like, what does that even mean? And they gave the analogy of a boat kind of driving very quickly in a lake and how it creates this wake behind it. Well, if you're in a no wake zone, you shouldn't be leaving a wake. And so I, I had to do a lot of activities about my wake zone. And if there was a no wake zone, I needed to slow down. And those years were, uh, it was a two-year period where it was pretty challenging to try and snap that behavior and pull it from the root so that it wasn't a problem anymore. But that gentleman, he did help me. And ironically, he, he was very good at approaching anybody. And that's one thing that I, I valued about him. I learned a lot of different things from him. And one of the biggest things I noticed is that he showed me how to observe people's motivations, their fears, their desires, how to assess their intellectual capacity to comprehend and execute what I was asking of them, because that was part of my problem. I had very high expectations of myself, and that just kind of really just translated into, I have high expectations of others. And so, you know, I got feedback that it was next to impossible to live in my world because I just, I could operate at a level on a high frequency to get things done. And I expected that everybody else could do it. So he taught me how to assess talent. But Jennifer, is it wrong um, to think, uh, to have high expectations of yourself and of those that you work with? No, I I don't believe it's wrong. I believe Mm -hmm. that the level of which I had expectations Mm -hmm. was unhealthy. I think Mm -hmm. it was unhealthy, especially Mm -hmm. 
especially for me, because I think what I did is I, I, I chose to believe, and I do believe that when we have a belief, it's a choice, and we have to figure out when we chose that belief, if it's a limiting belief, but mm-hmm. I chose to believe that I had to prove myself because I wasn't male in this industry, and it never occurred to me until that gentleman pulled me aside and said, your approach is all wrong. Up until that point, I wasn't aware that it was even a problem. So I don't believe that it is bad to have high expectations. I still do have high expectations of myself and of others, but they're not unrealistic anymore. I try to keep it very realistic so that it's doable and people can actually live within it. They can make decisions, make mistakes, learn from it, grow from it, and then move on um, before I didn't give that grace. Do you do you think uh, you know when we start looking at leadership styles and uh, possibly uh, here you are twenty twenty one you're maybe not as familiar with leadership styles that you know are I guess espoused in leadership training and some of the classes at some of the universities. So <clears throat> did you ever did anyone ever say to you you have more of an autocratic uh, leadership style? Yes, it's, that's a, it's a funny do, it's question. It's top down. I beg very much, very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I, my manager came to me when I was 22, and her name was Karen Richens, and she was awesome. She was the first female leader I had, and she gave me my review. And on this review, Barbara, it said that I needed improvement in leadership, and like it just hit me right in the chest. I said, "What are you talking about? My my job title is cell leader. How, I'm failing." And she explained to me, oh, right now you're, you're being a manager. You're managing yourself and you're managing others. What you need to do is manage yourself and lead others. And I, I mean, I was puzzled. I mean, what does that mean, you know? So she worked out a development plan with me. And that is when I started getting into training classes and learning about myself, what, how it was that I accomplished things, where I should probably change things up, what different leadership styles there were, how I should assimilate a little bit of all of it and, and how to pull each lever in different situations when I needed to. So there was a time and a place to get commitment. There was a time and a place to pace set somebody. There was a time and a place to, you know, inspire them and give a little bit more grace. And that was Karen Richens was the first female leader that I worked with that really changed my life and my perspective in terms of what it meant to lead versus manage. I didn't know the difference until that review. Gosh, wow. And then, of course, all of the self-talk and self, <laughs> all of the experiences that you had growing up from dad, I mean, it's, it's yeah. rather difficult to sort of break free from what was in your past and what you learned and what you knew. So, you mentioned, you know, you, you learned a lot through trial and error, and I think many of us, <laughs> we have learned yeah. through trial and error. <laughs> but what was your greatest yeah. lesson uh, to date that you feel you have learned from all of this? My, my biggest lesson that I've learned as a leader is that, you know, when I'm trying to influence somebody or if I'm trying to work with them and we're communicating, the whole process is a process of responsiveness. And if they are not responding, then I need to adjust my approach. So I took a lot of time to learn different communication styles and how people have preferred communication styles and how to identify when I know that they are a visual person, an auditory person, or if they're a feeler, like in the kinesthetic range. And realizing that everybody sees the world differently and they process information differently. So if I 
observe their body language first, observe what level of energy they're at. And if I step into their world and match it first, I got a lot better results versus just walking up and, oh, hey, I need this done. So it was like I needed to slow down. I needed to slow down and I needed to be aware and present in my conversations. And I forced myself to ask open-ended questions because it, it made me have to listen to their response that are formulating my rebuttal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> These were the I, things I, that I learned in that training class. That's great. One of the things, uh, questions I have is like, you start out in a male-dominated um, area, and then I want to know, when did you transition, or did you, where it was more uh, female-dominated uh, experience for you, or did you have that experience? Uh, and that's one of the questions I'm going to ask as soon as we come back from break. But we're going to take a quick break in a few minutes, and I want you to think about that. Uh, your transition from a male-dominated uh, area to female, maybe more female-dominated, and how did you adjust in that situation? Or did that happen to you? Sounds good. Okay, we're going to be right back, and thank you very much, listeners. We're going to be right back with my guest today, Jennifer Conkey. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Things Worth Considering, featuring hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore what we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. If you are looking to deepen your understanding of karma, the law of attraction, metaphysics, mindfulness, and intuition, be sure to tune in each week for You, the Universe, the Holistic Mind with host Catherine Potter. Catherine and her insightful guests will show how everything interconnects, explaining concepts and modalities that connect the mind and body. It's a refreshing look at the universe and the laws that govern it. Listen every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, welcome back to my discussion today with Jennifer Conkey, a well-known business leadership business strategist, and she's also co-founder of the company Lead Her Ship Coaching. So, Jennifer, again, welcome back. And wow, when we went on break, I had this fascinating question for you. Uh, coming from a male-dominated uh, profession and working up to become that leader, how was the transition 
for you when you're in a more female-dominated environment? It's a great question because this is the next pivotal transition of my life. And so I worked at that industry in TRW for eight years, went through an entire period where I had a lot of career progression, increased scope and responsibility. And then all of a sudden I got, we went through layoffs and I got laid off. I took a package. I volunteered for this, this layoff package and I ended up going to work for General Mills up in Northern California. And I, I just, it didn't, it wasn't a good fit. It was a union environment and I didn't know how to operate against the union environment in, in those rules. So I ended up getting a job at Target and Target is what changed my life. When I got to Target, this is where a lot of the leaders that were there, it was a good balance. They had a very good balance of men and women in leadership positions. And I got to participate in opening up one of their distribution centers in Bakersfield. And at the time, it was one of the biggest ones. And my manager at the time, he was my senior group leader, and his name was Todd Bills. I'll never forget this man. I'm still in touch with him. And he pulled me aside, and and he helped me understand, hey, you've had a lot of success at your previous company, but one of the things you've got to know about Target is that you have to maximize relationships with people. You can't just be a numbers geek anymore. (laughs) And you're going to have to soften up and get out there, make yourself vulnerable, and get a little bit of, hey, what should I stop, start, and continue feedback from all of your peers so that you could become more effective. And that was, again, it was kind of like when Karen Richens had sat me down and and I got that blow to the chest of you're not meeting expectations. And he basically told me, if you can't figure this out, you're not going to be a fit here. So I had to go home. That was on a Friday. And I went home over the weekend and did some soul searching. And I dove into a book. (laughs) It was like the first John C. Maxwell book that I ever read about leadership. And I went back in and I found myself a mentor and started working on it. And one of the first things that I realized is that when you're leading female leaders or working side by side with them as your peer, you have to be able to express vulnerability, give a little bit more leeway and grace and ask for their feedback, get them involved. And that was when things really started moving for me in terms of understanding what being a leader was versus a manager. It was not until Target where I had my biggest pivot. And I was 27 years old by then, 28, just turned mm-hmm. 28. That is yeah. that is a good story. Because, uh, you know, in my heart of hearts, I knew that, you know, coming from that male-dominated sort of top-down autocratic uh, role, <laughs> that it has to change. And so... I, you know, really want to applaud you right now publicly for saying, because you went and you found something to change yourself. You looked within and you were able to realize what your your deficiencies, and I hate to use that word, but anyway, the things that you needed to change. And thank God for mentors like Todd Bell and, and like Karen, who helped you. And, of course, John Maxwell. Who wouldn't want to read John Maxwell's <laughs> books? And, exactly. And, and, and ask for help. I think the most important thing, uh, what would you say for women leaders? Because it's really uh, challenging sometimes uh, being in the leadership role. What do you think um, now, as you look back, what you have learned? And what do you bring to the table as your greatest skill set as a leader? And now, coach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. My greatest skill set is I am now able to identify I identify talent and I help them unleash their potential and mm-hmm. any blocks that they might have, any self-doubt that they might have, 
um, able to work with them and really have them step into you power. That you're, it's all about you and investing in yourself and, and working through it. You know, I am um, one of my greatest mentors. At the, it, her name is Janice Kring from Target, and she taught me everything. From, from then on, it was just, it was all about Janice taught me all of these things on how to be a strong female without needing to be this authoritative, autocratic leader. And she taught me how to manage inclusion. And my biggest thing that I would say is that is so important because it's so easy to exclude everybody. The, the challenge is how do you bring them along? How do you collaborate? And how do you get results by, by everybody contributing versus just you driving it, driving it? So she taught me how to lead from behind instead of where before I was leading out in front. She taught me how to lead from behind and how to help guide people while I'm behind them and kind of show them and coach them through the ropes. So that was a pivotal point for me. And that's one of the things that I, that I learned is it is possible to change. It takes a lot of work, a lot of hard work, but if you invest in yourself with the time, invest in yourself with a mentor, I mean, have an internal mentor, have an external mentor. It's okay to have more than one coach because you might need somebody for weight loss. Mm -hmm. You might need somebody to teach you how to speak on a stage, or you might need somebody to teach you business. For me, because I got to lead from behind, I started being able to learn different things. So she taught me how to dive deep into profit and loss statements and how to make sense of them and how to find out well, where, where are we leaking in the business and how to make a, a, an action plan and get it deep-rooted and go for the, the root cause of it. And I learned a lot from her from a business-savvy perspective and a personal perspective. But what I learned most is that leadership is balancing people, processes, and performance. It's the Very three good. P's, and that's what I preach to everybody that I coach as a leader. It's the three P's. How did you um, segue all of this? You're in Target, and uh, you start a business, and you get into the business of being what you call a leadership business strategist. How did you go from there right. to where you are now and leadership coach? How did you get into the industry? So when I, when I, uh, I was about eight years into Target, and I, I really wanted to have some have kids, and uh, I ended up getting an opportunity. That same mentor, Janice Kring, went to Home Depot, and so she had a job at Home Depot, and, you know, I followed her. I worked at Home Depot for five years, and during that time, I did. I had my twins, and I was traveling a lot, and then I ended up in a building where it was a turnaround situation. I was really good at that. I specialize in turning around, going into a building, assessing the culture processes, how they're performing, and then proposing a strategy on how to get them back in the black. And it was a turnaround situation for Home Depot, and I just didn't get to see my kids enough. So I had another opportunity open up to learn real estate, how to flip homes. So I started doing that on the side. I ended up resigning from corporate America and started flipping real homes in real estate and doing some buy and hold, getting a cash flow portfolio together. And once that kind of settled in, I thought, well, I, I need to diversify my income stream. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and source my strengths. I'm going to start coaching people. So I started doing that, and through that process is when I came across some, some women that were saying things like, oh, you know, there's this pay gap, and there's this gender issue at work still, and this Me Too thing, and there was all these things that were coming up and surfacing, and I just kept hearing them say, yeah, we just need to embrace girl power, and um, for me, it, it kind of lit a spark, and for me, it, I thought, I, I really wish that we could just say, that doesn't have to be girl power. It doesn't have to be the good old boy network. Why can't it just be you power? 
and why can't we just have diversity in thought? And it went all the way back to when I was 19 years old, sitting there having that conversation with that supervisor that explained to me, your approach is wrong, you're rubbing them the wrong way. And my first question was, well, why does it matter that I'm a girl? And I realized that it does matter to a lot of people, that gender does matter and approach matters. And even though it doesn't matter to me, I have to still acknowledge the reality of it. And my goal is to teach all of these women and men, how can we communicate together? And and how can we respect each other's communication styles, identify it? And if that's your preferred style, how can I adjust to it so that, you know, we can get get what we need to get done? So I actually have another call later on this week where I'm going to have a conversation in a Zoom format where we talk about that, the communication differences between men and women, because I feel so passionate about it. I feel like it doesn't need to be difficult if we would just be more responsive to one another. So that is how I got into it. I, I got very passionate about helping these women and helping them try to learn how to influence. And it, the first piece is looking at body language, listening mm-hmm. for keywords, and trying to approach them in in their own space. So when when you when you said uh, that you came up with your seven specific influencing techniques, how did you come to learn them before we share them? Because I I, I know I want you to share them. But how did you come to learn them? Trial and error. (laughs) It was trial and error. (laughs) It was trial and error. And also I have I have this call it my little black book. Um, mm-hmm. While I was working at Target, I had an amazing opportunity where Target is just so focused on leadership development that they highly suggest you have an internal mentor. And I had about five and I would meet with them. And I literally interviewed these highly effective leaders within the Target organization and asked them, like, what's your secret sauce? What do you think I should work on? Here's what I'm struggling with right now. Here's how I want to solve it. What do you think? And just really brainstorming with these people. And I have it all. all. Every single meeting I ever had with these folks is in my little black book. It's sitting right in front of me right now, as a matter of fact. And <laughs> because I did that, you know, I learned what they did. I identified what they did. And that is how I, I literally modified my own approach to it. And I did not come together with it until Home Depot. And when I went to Home Depot, Janice Crane gave me the opportunity to start teaching her general managers how to do this. So I got the opportunity to do corporate training at Home Depot about these seven influencing tactics to the general managers that were running all of her distribution centers. And it was an awesome opportunity. And that's when I really solidified it. And, and folks were taking it and, and they were using it. So okay. I just observed people. That's what I did and talked to them. And it was over wow. an eight-year period. <laughs> wow. Now, seven is supposed to be um, an actual... Um, Sacred number, seven. So <laughs> did you realize that when you oh, came up with seven? I did, I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Funny. Seven. We have seven days in a week. Um, so oh. basically, yeah. Okay. You talked about uh, your seven influencing uh, techniques. Uh, I want to know. I know my listeners want to know. What are they? Number one. So <clears throat> you can break them into three buckets. The first okay. three are the, mm-hmm. they're the primary influencing tactics that you will use to try to get commitment from people. So the first one is logical explanation. Now, logical explanation is when the person influencing is using logical arguments, factual evidence, trying to persuade the person that their proposal or request, it's a viable one, and it's likely to get results. 
And then it's inspiration. So number two is inspiration. And that's when the person influencing is making a request or a proposal that's arousing the other person's enthusiasm by appealing to their values, ideals, aspirations, basically appealing to improve their self-confidence or enhance their self-confidence, inspiring them to want to act. And number three is involvement. And that's when the person that's influencing is seeking the person's participation to plan the strategy or the activity or the change, and they want to find out, how would you do it? How do you think we can do it? So they're, they're involving them. And right. those three things will help get commitment. Mm-hmm. So I, I call those the primary. That, that's, your, that's your first go-to strategy. Always try to get commitment first. And then I have the secondary tactics which is number four, and that's emotion. So when you already have a good relationship established and you're in rapport with someone, you can use praise, you know, flattery, friendly behavior, helpful behavior, just to get them in a good mood and really change their emotional state before you ask them to do something because you already have that connection. And then number five is exchange. And that's when the person is they're influencing to, to try and get something done, and they're willing to put something on the table. They're willing to put a little cheek in the game and say, hey, if you, if you help me with this, you know, I'll, give you, I'll give you some credit, or I'll, I'll recognize you publicly, or if you take this task, I could take that task. And it's, it's not an exchange from an inappropriate standpoint or something you right. don't want to do as a leader. It's exchange in service. And, you know, service that's going to help one another. So it also, again, if you have that relationship, it helps lift the other person up and it's a really good technique. So I use number four, emotion, and number five as the secondary influencing strategies that supplement getting commitment. Okay. The last two, the last two are very influencing tactics. And that's number six, which is enforcement. So we have to enforce rules. So if there's somebody who's, you know, this usually performance comes down to a skill or a will issue. If they have the skills and it's not performing, it tends to be that they don't have the will to perform. But if they have the will to perform and they're so excited about it, but they just don't know what they're doing yet, then it's a skill issue and you need to figure out how to help them. If it's that they're not following the rule, you have to enforce the rule. So you can't really get too far gone before commitment, if they're not committed to it, you have to step in and enforce it. So enforcement is a strategy that you have to use. You usually only want to use that if it's disciplinary action and things like that that you absolutely cannot avoid. And after you've exhausted all opportunities to make sure they have everything to get the skill, because if it's a will issue, then you have to manage that performance because you can't tolerate the low performance that affects the rest of the team. The last one, number seven is pace setting. And pace setting is just really applicable to projects. So if you're in a project management team or, you know, for me, I, I did three startups. I started up three, three businesses um, with a target corporation, three buildings, and went through the process. And there is a definite plan where we pace set. We talk about who's going to do what and by when. And there's meetings. There's frequent check-ins and that pace setting. But if it's used the wrong way, then it's that autocratic authoritarian. Hey, when is that going to be done? Hey, when is this going to be done? So you have to use it the right way. But those are the seven. So those are great. Those yeah. are great. I hope the, the listeners were sort of taking notes on this. Uh, when, I, when I listen to all of this logical explanation sort of translate into the leader has to have a vision. The vision yes. that's clear. What are we doing? Why yes. are we doing it? Right. And then number two, you talked about inspiration to get them inspired. They have to see the vision and where we're going. The involvement 
is participation. That's number three. And secondary enforcement is emotion. You get them charged up about and excited. And then there, number five is an exchange. And I really like that. There is something like a quid pro quo. Uh, there's an exchange here of value. <laughs> Um, put something on the table and there's something for you and we have a mutual exchange. Now, I'm just paraphrasing this. And You're doing doing really well. (laughs) Number six uh, is enforcement. And here we talk about rules. Uh, And then I like the fact that you separate skills from will because certainly you can train a person because if they have the will but they don't have the skills they can learn but if they don't have the will yet they have the skills you might have a challenge (laughs) in in getting that Uh, that's the strategy Uh, and then number seven is pace setting and that's sort of allocating who's going to do what the when the where and that's who I got who what where and when Pace setting. So those are seven influencing strategies. And I really, really want to thank you. And I hope that many of the listeners out there take heed to that because I know it works. One of the things that uh, you've often shared about this and your leadership coaching with women, I know, what have been some of the, um, I would say, some of your evaluations uh, to assess if those techniques were effective? What have been the positive results? Yeah, positive results have been, so most of the people that I mentored. Well, you know what? Hold it right there, Jennifer. We're going to take a quick break because we're going to come right back and we're going to talk about the positive results from the seven influencing strategies. Thank you, Jennifer. We'll be right back. Listeners, we'll be right back. So stay tuned. on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, welcome back to my interview today with Jennifer Conkey. We are having a great discussion on leadership, and she's the co-founder of Leadership Lead Hership Coaching, although she does coach men as well. And Jennifer, I can't thank you enough for sharing your seven influencing strategies, and I hope, my listeners, that you were able to take note of those. If not, you can also download the show afters and make sure to get your seven specific techniques and Today, we're also talking now in this segment about some of the uh, positive results, Jennifer, that uh, women have, that you've shared this in your leadership coaching with women, some of the positive results in using these seven strategies. Sure. So, I have had several experiences with women that Mm -hmm. they're a little bit more timid and, or on the other side of it, they're a little bit too assertive. So, I've had both spectrums. I'll start with the timid. So this particular, this particular woman, she was kind of afraid to approach strong alpha males and would tend to back down if they challenged her. Mm-hmm. And so during our interactions when we were speaking, I was trying to find out what's the root cause of that. And so she felt that she just she didn't have the, the subject matter expert level that they did because they kept asking her questions. And when she got challenged, she would shut down. And so I explained to her, well, we got to figure out what that is. And if you're feeling a little bit inferior to them, then what's the skill that you need to go get so that you can feel a little bit more confident? And she said, well, I, I just, I don't understand the numbers and the reporting. And, and so when I'm speaking about things, they're challenging me and, and I don't know how to respond. And so we did some role playing. That's always been one of my biggest things is role play. So mm-hmm. I'll come up mm-hmm. with a situation and we will role play and I will be, I will be the, <laughs> Because I have no problem being <laughs> the, the bad guy. energy that, you know, that I'm going to be the bad guy and we're going to talk about it. And I would challenge her. And one of the things that I am most known for is putting people uh, outside of their comfort zone and stretching them. But just enough outside the comfort zone, not to where they're having a post-traumatic stress disorder issue, but, but they are just, they're just a little bit uncomfortable and then I teach them a new skill and then I make them apply it. And so I would teach her, okay, I want you to focus on observe his body language. What does it look like? What does your body language look like? What are the words he's using? What's your tone? What's his tone? So I taught her how to enter the room and understand and step into his energy first. And so like, if it looks like he's really busy and he's in a hurry, don't approach. If he's looking like he's in the middle of a task, don't approach. And so these are the, these are the situations where you should approach and, and here's how you can do it. So we role play it. And mm-hmm. doing the role playing, that repetition is what gave her the confidence. And then she went and she had the conversation. And when she came back and we talked about it, what she had learned from the process is that she was not comfortable because she did not understand the processes of his business and how her business affected it. So I explained to her, well, now, now you know. Now you have the door is open and you can go establish this relationship and connect with him and find out what is it that he needs. And this is the form of exchange. What is it that he needs and what is it that you need and how can you help each other? This is like the perfect platform for you to go and knock that out of the park and create a connection with him. And she did and it worked. So I was trying to explain to her when you step into their model of the world, you're going to find out what motivates them. What are they interested in right now? What is challenging for them right now? And how is your business impacting that so that you can help? And she had a really good conversation with him and their relationship took a really big turn. And so it became more collaborative. And then I had somebody who was 
super assertive and aggressive. So I was able to nail that one pretty well because she was basically me. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask you, had you met yourself down the line? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I realized at that moment in time, oh, so this is why I learned all these lessons. So I, I explained to her. I shared with her the same story that I shared with you earlier about how the first time somebody told me that my approach was too abrasive and that I needed to soften it and be more polished. And she also, because she was young, and she said, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. And so I walked her through and I explained to her, I just shared my story with her. And I told her, what you need to do is you need to seek more involvement and you need to find out what they're passionate about. And how do they think that it can be done? Because she was just going out there and telling them how to do it. She said, here's where we're going and here's how you need to do it. And I, and I, t- I shared with her, I used to do that. And it, it only got you so far. But if you go out there and say, here's what, where we need to go, how do you think we can get there? And then you don't say anything. You speak last. Let them speak. See what they say. Listen to their ideas. They might be different from yours. But as a leader, you have to be able to have the faith and give them enough room to operate and make decisions. And then your job is to step in and coach them when they need to course correct. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit of, you know, relinquishing control. And that's going to be uncomfortable. But so I met with that woman a lot longer than the other one. It took her a little bit longer. But after 18 months, she definitely softened up her approach. And so at that company, they had something called the best team survey where they surveyed the the culture of the employees and how happy they were. And so it was a measurement of the company's engagement and hers previously had been in the red and in the next survey, she was in the green. So that was the measurement that we were trying to move because she kept getting feedback from her manager that uh, I'm, I'm having a problem here and my team isn't responsive. So I knew that she needed to make that change. And so the, the measurement was that specific survey That's and she got green she knew. She, she knew That's she had great. made the difference and made the change. Yeah. Have you had any of your clients that they just didn't get it and you just had to release or move on? Oh, yeah, I know absolutely. that's a difficult question I, to be asking, but yeah. um, there are, you know, some people, it's just maybe they can't work with you. Maybe they can work with other people and sort of like they have the will or they, they don't have the skill and they don't have the will. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, I will do that. If they, they, they need to, to want it more than I do, they need to want to change and transform their style okay. more than I do. And whenever I feel like I want it more than they do, I'll, I'll have that candid conversation of, you know, how, how do you, how do you feel like things are going? What are you uncomfortable with? Where, what are you happy with? And, and then just share my observations and explain, this is where I think you're doing really well. And here's where I think you can step it up. And just really move the mercury on how to influence people in this particular tactic. For example, you, you've got to learn how to inspire people and you've got to learn how to figure out what emotionally motivates them and motivate them with the carrot, not the stick. And when they don't, when they can't make that change and it's too difficult, uh, we definitely make the, the decision that, okay, well, this probably just isn't a fit. Maybe my style isn't, isn't helping you. And, you know, there's somebody else out there that's better fit for you. But yes, I have had to do that. I, I've definitely had to relinquish that. That's interesting. You know, one of the things that uh, I hear, and over the years, it has been this question. It's rhetorical, as far as I'm concerned. Um, do you believe, Jennifer, leaders are born, or are they made? I get that question quite a bit. Yeah. What's your take yeah, on that? <clears throat> It's a great question. I actually wrote an article about it three years ago. Um, I, to me, that's um, 
that's the difference between an introverted leader and an extroverted leader. So there's some people who say, you know, an introvert can't be a leader, and, um, and I disagree. So I think that leaders are made. I do not believe that they're born. I believe that you are born with certain characteristics that, that help you stand alone, but that does not necessarily translate into leading. You can stand alone. You can demonstrate courage. You can do all of those things. You can lead the pack. But do you know how to bring people along, collaborate, and actually impact and, and make people better, develop them? That To me, that's leadership. And you have to learn that. That's not something we just come fresh out of the womb with that. We need to learn it. So I do. I believe that, that leaders are made. Um, and I feel like I'm living proof of that because I'm a completely different person and a completely different leader than I was 25 years ago. And I'm grateful for that journey. It is a journey. It's never a destination. It's a journey. And I still have things to learn. And I think that because of that, if I would have just been born with that, you know, there's, that takes the fun out of life. And so I definitely think that it's a situation where leaders are made and the introverted leader has a little bit more work to do in order to get comfortable leading and being out in front of people, but they tend to be the very best at leading from behind. So, yeah, I think they're made. Thank you for that. Jennifer, I'm going to ask a a tough question that comes up today. You know, we have a growing number of millennials um, that are coming on as fast leaders. They're coming on fast as leaders, I should say. So what kind of leadership do we need today, given the climate and the environment in the workplace today? And when we start to look at millennials taking on the role of leadership, what's your take on that? Have you done much with millennials? And what are your I have. I have. I have noticed Mm -hmm. there's a a millennial evolution that's pretty much taking place. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, as organizations continue to, to embrace that, I mean, things are going to change just like they historically mm-hmm. always have. The, the values of the world, they, they shift. And, and right now, there's four emerging leadership styles that I think that we need to really consider embracing. And when it comes to millennials, they're very innovative. You know, they don't just think outside the box. They mm-hmm. are looking and expecting other people to think outside the box. And they're thinking bigger. It's not just the, the, the standard one-size-fits-all one approach to things. They, they want to think about what. Well, I don't want so many, you know, protocols and processes and all the bureaucracy. I want to be able to have free thought and what would this look like and let's go try it. And so they're going to be more experimental. So we're going to have to have a little bit, a little bit more uh, comfort with ambiguity because when an innovator is in the room, the people get very uncomfortable because they don't know what to expect. You know, they, everybody fears the unknown, but the innovator is going to say, well, let's just try it and see what happens. And you know what? Those innovators, they tend to move the world in, in, in one direction and improve. So I think that that's, that's a, an emerging leadership style. And then there's also the servant leader. I think that that pretty much emerged about you know 10 years ago, but I don't think it's going anywhere because they are looking for employee engagement. And I think that that is the leadership style that I landed in was how can I serve my team, and how can I flip that org chart upside down? So it's not like I have all these people below me. My picture's on the bottom. The org chart is above me. And how do I serve them and give them what they need and move things out of the way? And I think that we're going to continue to see that for a while. And I think also there's the empathetic leader. So as we have more and more females stepping into leadership roles, I've noticed that there is a shift in the empathy of, you know, life happens. 
And we need to make sure that we're flexible to that in people's emotions. And not everybody is really excited about changes and, and how fast they move. And we have to be empathetic to that. And we still need to hold people accountable to what needs to happen. And they might not under, understand. They might not agree. But we right. need to get them to understand. Right. And I think that we're going to continue to see an increase in the empathetic leader. Um, I think that diversity is a huge thing. So I think we're going to have a lot of folks that are still out there looking at how can we continue and be committed to diversity and focus on that because it really is. It's, it's, a, it's a melting pot of a lot more women in the workplace in leadership roles and literally now approaching into the C-suite. It's, it's changing. And then you have all the millennials that are also entering. And so all of these differences that are coming together it's going to cause this shift to continue and it's going to shift hard. And I think that the innovative is going to be the biggest one that we all have to adjust to. That's going to well, be I the think, one where if, I, I what, agree. I, yeah, I mean, I really want to thank the you that for everybody. Yeah. Because you know what? The reason why I asked that question, because some of the thinking is that the millennials should comply with the traditional leadership that has worked for the generations before them, but that's not going to happen. And it's really wow. short-sighted. Um, I think yeah. a lot of, I've worked with many millennials and much of what they want uh, as leaders, it truly works for them and it helps them to become engaged in the work they do. And ultimately uh-huh. they're going to become the largest part of the workforce here in the United States and maybe in other places as well. So inevitably yeah, they are going to be the ones who influence leadership. So I just pray for companies uh, that are able to change with the new expectations, uh, they're going to be most successful. So, you know, uh, Jennifer, in the last few minutes, what is your next, what do you think uh, is next step for Jennifer? Uh, Right now I am working. Mm-hmm. What's that? So I'm right now. I'm working really hard on um, getting into the corporate training space, and um, okay. I'm right now working with a client where they're trying to scale their business and and get it to the point where it's pretty large, and getting an HR staff and making all of this cultural impacts and hiring leaders and how to assess talent and how to manage and navigate through disruption. So. Right now, I am really excited about that particular client because Thank it's not you. just a regular individual coaching client. It's a big Thank thing. You. I want to. I, I want to impact the companies. Thank you. Jennifer, I want to thank you. You've had a great journey, and I want to thank you for being transparent today and sharing your seven influencing techniques, which I know will work, and a fascinating journey as a leadership business strategist and coach. So, you know, you've been described as energetic, personable, inspiring, and knowledgeable, and you have been all of that today. So I want to thank you again for being on the show. And for you listeners out there, you can catch Jennifer in Living Color on the Transformation Success Television channel on the Voice America TV network next week. So that's all for today. Tune in next week. We have another great guest for you, powerhouse, noted filmmaker, Miss Camille Tucker. So Be blessed and have a great week. This is Dr. Barbara Young signing off. Thank you again, Jennifer. See you soon. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an outstanding week.